0: Welcome to MV Talks, a podcast by Maya Vandenberg Lawyers in Canberra. MV Talks is an in-depth look at the legal issues facing individuals, business and government. Welcome to MV Talks. I'm your host, Christine Murray, and today we have Jennifer Jayshki to talk about changes to the Retail Leases Act in New South Wales. The Retail Leases Act is legislation which governs the relationship between landlords and tenants for retail shops in New South Wales. The Act is about to undergo some major changes which will impact on the retail leasing industry. Jennifer, how has the change come about? Well,
1: Christine, it has been a long time coming and there has been quite a lot of industry consultation and discussion around this topic, Uh, but the proposed amendments to the
0: Retail Leases Act now commence on 1 July this year. So today I think we should cover the main topics which we think are going to affect our listeners in relation to these changes to the Act. Whilst there are some other changes to the Act, we won't cover them all today because in our experience they're not as important or pertinent. One of the most significant changes I think you'll agree is in relation to removing the requirement for a minimum term of five years. I think, as most people would be aware, a tenant of a retail shop lease in New South Wales is currently entitled to a minimum term of five years. Tenants can request a shorter lease, but they have to get a Section 16 certificate signed by their lawyer. Can you tell us about these changes, please?
1: Yes, this is a significant change, and it reflects the nature of the modern leasing market and the idea of freedom to contract. In our experience, both landlords and tenants do enter into shorter term leases because they suit their different business needs. So going forward after 1 July, tenants and landlords can enter into a lease for less than five years without the requirement of a section 16 certificate. This change should reduce the amount of red tape that tenants and landlords have to go through. The minimum term will still apply to any lease that has started before 1 July.
0: Well, that will be a welcome change for many landlords and tenants, I think. The legislation applies to retail shops in New South Wales and I understand that they've changed the definition of retail shops to clarify some instances where retail shop leases were being entered into and it was thought that it wasn't necessary.
1: What's that about? I think this will also be a welcome change uh, because it will have clarity over what is a retail shop lease. So currently there are some non-retail uses which might be relevant to premises in a shopping centre and therefore they're captured by the Act. However, as of 1 July, there's going to be a new Schedule 1A to the Act. This will set out uses that are excluded from the operation of the Act. These will include ATMs, vending machines, public telephones, children's rides, signage display, internet booths, private post boxes, communication towers and self-storage units and storage
0: lockers. I think that change also removes car parking, doesn't it, where car parking doesn't form a business of a car park. So that'll be really useful to landlords and tenants.
1: Yes, that's correct, Christine. So it means that these uses that are non-retail, even though they're in a shopping centre, they won't have to comply with the obligations under the Act.
0: Jennifer, we're lawyers and we know that disputes can occur between landlords and tenants sometimes. Um, I understand the legislation has been changed to improve the access to justice for parties to a retail shop lease in New South Wales. What are the changes?
1: So in New South Wales, the main adjudicating body which deals with retail leasing disputes is the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which is known by many as the NCAT. The NCAT is intended to have jurisdiction to deal with the majority of retail lease disputes. It currently has a jurisdiction to hear claims up to $400,000. But as a result of the recent review, it was decided that this limit was no longer appropriate. The NCAT's jurisdiction as of 1 July will be expanded by increasing the monetary limit for claims from $400,000 to $750,000.
0: I take it that that increase from $400,000 to $750,000 reflects the increase in startup costs for tenants in retail shop leases since the Leases Act was first enacted.
1: Yes, that's right. When the jurisdictional cap was set, the costs of setting up a retail shop were less, whereas this amendment reflects the increase in those start-up costs. The intention is that landlords and tenants who find themselves in a dispute will have better access to faster and cheaper results.
0: Sometimes landlords and tenants have disputes about what a lease means and it becomes apparent that the document doesn't indicate what the parties intended when they entered into the lease. How's the legislation changing to deal with that?
1: Well, currently parties can go to the NCAT and if they both agree, the NCAT can rectify the lease or disclosure statement to reflect that agreement. Going forward, the NCAT will have greater powers to make orders for rectification of retail leases and disclosure statements, which will include rectifying errors.
0: That's certainly something that our Leasing Disputes team here at My Vandenberg will be keen to pursue in the right circumstances. Another aspect of the changes to the legislation relates to disclosure statements. And disclosure statements, as our listeners will know, are a statement which a landlord is required to give to a tenant at least seven days before a lease is entered into. I understand that tenants' rights regarding disclosure statements have been improved under the amended legislation. Can you please explain that?
1: Yes. So tenants currently have the right to terminate a lease in the first six months of the lease if they have not been provided with a disclosure statement or if the information that they have been provided with is incomplete, false or misleading. The change going forward is that landlords may be liable to pay tenants' compensation if they exercise that right to terminate the lease. For example, if a landlord or its agent fails to give a disclosure statement as required by the Act and the tenant validly exercises its right to terminate the lease then the landlord may be required to pay the tenant for its costs of legal costs, design fees, fit-out costs, and possibly even the cost of stocking the premises. This could be a
0: significant cost for the landlord. Also in relation to disclosure statements, I understand that tenants will no longer be required to pay any amount of outgoings unless that liability was disclosed in the disclosure statement and estimated accurately. So how will that work? Yes, this is another important point for landlords. If
1: an estimate for an outgoing is provided in the disclosure statement and the estimate is less than the actual amount charged and there was no reasonable basis for the estimate, then the liability of the tenant for the payment is limited to the estimated amount.
0: Could you give us an example?
1: Sure. If a landlord estimates land tax of $7,000 but actually charges the tenant $14,000 for land tax, and there was no reasonable basis for the estimate of $7,000, then the tenant will only be required to
0: pay $7,000. What happens if a new tax or levy is imposed after the landlord has given its disclosure statement to the tenant?
1: Landlords will be able to claim that from a tenant uh, because it wasn't available information to the landlord at the time it gave the lessor disclosure statement. It will only be if the landlord had the
0: information and didn't accurately estimate the outgoings. Jennifer, we know in our leasing practice that sometimes the landlord gives us information to put in a disclosure statement after we've prepared it and given it to the tenant. Yes, that's right. Under the old Act, this is used to require us to prepare a new disclosure statement and give it again. Has that changed? Yes, it has. And another situation may be that you've made
1: a mistake in the disclosure statement. Going forward, errors, or if you've left something out, can be fixed by an agreement in writing between the landlord and the tenant. Or, as I mentioned earlier, the NCAT will now have greater powers to rectify disclosure statements that have errors or admissions.
0: It's part of our practice of leasing in New South Wales that we recommend to our landlord clients that they register leases which have a term of three years or more. This records the tenant's interest in the premises on the title to the land. How will the legislation change in respect of the landlord's obligations to sign and register leases?
1: So, as of 1 July, landlords are going to be required to register all leases, which are for a term of more than three years. This is a change from the current situation, in which it's a choice for parties as to whether leases are registered. Another change in relation to execution and registration of leases is that landlords now have three months to execute a lease and return the copy to the tenant.
0: That's good, Jennifer, because it is sometimes difficult to get an institutional landlord to sign a lease and receive mortgagee consent within the old one-month time frame. So a three-month time frame will be welcome news.
1: It will be to landlords, Christine. In that three-month time frame, though, landlords should also be lodging the lease for registration. It'll now be a requirement
0: under the Act. So what happens if there's a delay and they can't get it done in three months? I
1: understand that is a concern of many landlords when they heard about this new three-month time frame. The Act does take into account delays that are beyond the reasonable control of the landlord So for example, if there are delays in obtaining mortgagee consent and the landlord has used reasonable efforts to get the mortgagee consent within that timeframe, they will be granted an extension of that time.
0: And how about the obligation for tenants to pay bank fees to obtain mortgagee consent? So as of 1
1: July, landlords will no longer be able to recover from the tenant expenses they incur in obtaining mortgagee consent.
0: A really important aspect of commercial leasing is, of course, getting security from the tenant for it to comply with its obligations throughout the lease. And one way that landlords usually do this is by asking for a bank guarantee, particularly in New South Wales, where the bond regime is a little bit onerous. How will the legislation change in relation to bank guarantees? So often a concern for tenants
1: at the end of the lease is when they'll get their original bank guarantee back. Going forward, landlords will have a two-month time frame to return the original bank guarantee to the tenant.
0: Jennifer, sometimes, and it's hard to believe I know, landlords actually lose the bank guarantees. What should they do then?
1: Yes, Christine, sometimes landlords do lose the original bank guarantees, but all is not lost if they do this. They can satisfy the requirement to return the bank guarantee to the tenant. If they give the tenant all the necessary consents or releases that the tenant's bank needs to return the money to the tenant.
0: And if the landlord fails to do that, what happens then? So the new legislation has now
1: compensation that the landlord may be liable to pay to the tenant if it fails to return the
0: original bank guarantee.
1: Or the landlord may be required to pay the costs of cancelling the bank guarantee.
0: One problem that our leasing dispute team runs into is where there's a dispute about whether or not the landlord is entitled to claim on a bank guarantee. If the landlord is required to return the bank guarantee within two months, what will happen if there's a dispute? Yes, this is is a concern for landlords um, and often the dispute
1: will arise because the tenant has not made good the premises or there may be some outstanding rent. So the first point to make is that the two months runs from the date that the tenant has complied with all of their obligations. If there is a dispute as to whether they've complied with their obligations, then the time to return the bank guarantee doesn't apply during that time. If there is a dispute, the maximum return period does not run while the matter is the subject of proceedings in a court or in the NCAT.
0: Since the retail leases legislation first came in in 1994, one of the big changes in society is the way in which consumers shop now and online sales have obviously become far more common and they provide a hot topic in relation to leases and particularly in relation to the question of turnover figures and rent. The legislature is trying to respond to this in these amendments to the Act and what do they have to say about it?
1: Yes, this is a hot topic as landlords and tenants often have different opinions as to whether turnover information should include online sales. The new legislation will make it clear that tenants do not have to provide turnover information to landlords that relate to online sales and rent charged by way of percentage of turnover will exclude online sales revenue. However, this won't apply to online sales where goods or services are delivered or provided from the premises.
0: Online sales where goods are delivered or provided from the premises, what does that mean? So this is also known as click and collect.
1: So Christine, if you purchase something online from one of your favourite stores, one of mine is Jackie E, and you the item is shipped to you from their warehouse, then Jackie E won't be required to record that item in their turnover. However, if you order something online, And you pick it up from your Jackie E store, then that store may be required to record that item in their turnover.
0: I think, Jennifer, these changes in relation to online sales will probably be some of the most controversial. What do you think? Yes, I do think that these changes will have different opinions from landlords and
1: tenants. Um, There may be some tenants that think that they don't go far enough to make it clear about whether online sales are included or not in turnover.
0: So we get to the nasty bit of the legislation which is the penalty regime which has been around since the legislation was enacted but it's been strengthened, hasn't it? Yes, that's right. One of the current criticisms is that penalties are not easy to enforce. Because penalties haven't been enforced often people may not even know that there's penalties under the Act. What are the penalties for? So an example of what's known as a penalty offence is
1: is a failure of the landlord to give the lessor's disclosure statement. The Act says that it has this has a maximum penalty of 50 penalty units, which is
0: $5,500. Well, if the lessor can be penalised for not giving a disclosure statement, what about the lessee? That's a good point, Christine. The penalty
1: for the lessee is the same as the lessor. So if a tenant fails to give a lessee disclosure statement, it may also be up for a penalty of 50 penalty units or
0: $5,500. Some of the penalties even exceed that amount, don't they? What's one of the higher penalties under the Act?
1: So one of the higher penalties under the Act is if a landlord requires a tenant to pay money for entering into the lease, which would fall into the definition of key money. This has a maximum penalty of 100 penalty units, which is about $11,000. Wow,
0: that's a lot of money if you get it wrong and don't comply with the Act. Who can enforce the penalties? An authorised
1: officer of the Department of Industry can issue a penalty notice if a person has committed a penalty notice offence.
0: So if the landlord commits a penalty notice offence, does the money go to the tenant?
1: No, the money goes to the New South Wales Government, like a fine.
0: Okay, so I think we've covered all the main changes to the Act, which we think are going to impact on our listeners. Certainly these changes are going to impact on the way landlords and agents do business. What should landlords and agents do next?
1: We would encourage landlords and agents to get ready for this 1 July start date by reviewing their precinct leases... They should also download the new disclosure statement form and they should check their current processes or maybe consider starting new processes in relation to estimating outgoings, the execution and registration of leases and the return of bank guarantees.
0: There's a lot of changes for businesses to get across in relation to this new legislation and the leasing team at Maya Vandenberg, I'm sure, would be very happy to answer any questions that landlords, agents or tenants might have about getting ready for the one July start date. Yes, that's right, Christine. Christine Murray and thanks for listening to MV Talks. For more MV podcasts check out our page on SoundCloud or download our podcast from iTunes.